Shalom everyone and welcome to our new weekly Soul of the Parsha class. Every week we delve into the Parsha and try and find a certain pearl or gem, something to light up our Shabbos, our week. This week we're reading two parashot, it's Tazria and Metzorah. The bulk of the two parashot deals with the biblical, mysterious biblical illness called Tzara'at, leprosy. It's uh, different than the later day leprosy. It's a, it's a kind of spiritual illness. It doesn't just uh, inflict uh, people. Also, you can find it on clothes and houses. It's a very strange disease. In many ways, it's the epitome of all diseases. It's the main disease that the Torah talks about. And therefore, really what we're talking about is the topic of illness when we stray off from the the regular path of life and health. And and that's what the, the majority of the two parashot deal with. The second one <clears throat> is actually called Metzorah. This means a leper, someone who has this illness. And the first is called Tazria. Why is the first one called Tazria? Although most of it also deals with Tzarat, because the first eight verses deal with something else. And that's what we want to focus on, because this year we are focusing on the opening of each parsha, its first aliyah, its first segment, and and the and the very opening of this of the first of this parsha, Tazria, has to do with pregnancy and birth. Totally different topic. In many ways, it's the opposite of the topic of tzarat, illness. Tzarat is about it's an it's an illness, it's something you can die from, and Birth is about the beginning of life, the very opposite. It's about health and life and something very optimistic. So we want to understand this connection more deeply. And as we'll see, connecting these two topics also connects to a very, very fundamental, basic, deep topic in Kabbalah and Hasidut, which is called It'aruta diletata, an awakening from below. There is an awakening from above, Itaruta Dilela, which is God pouring down His light, His inspiration upon us. It doesn't come because we did something, it comes because it's being poured down, it's raining down upon us from above. But Itaruta Dilela is when we initiate a certain spiritual movement, uh, we begin something, we initiate it, we are the ones who give rise to it, it starts from us. It balances the entire theological picture of God being the sole ruler of the universe and creating everything. It also gives us room to come up with ideas, come up with uh, inspiration, initiate things in the world, processes in the world that actually affect the higher world and ultimately God himself. So this is really what's going on in the background. And, but we want first to figure out what's going on at the beginning of the Parsha. Why is it called Tazria? What does it all mean? So the main topic of the first eight verses of Tazria is it talks about uh, the days of impurity followed by the days of purity that each woman who gives birth is obligated to uh, observe. So whenever you give birth, there are first several days of impurity because it involves blood, and that means distance between the mother and the father. And then, but it's all after that, it's followed by a longer period of purity. Purity means that even if you do see blood, it doesn't matter, 
you're pure. But there's a difference between giving birth to a son and a daughter. If a woman gives birth to a son, it's seven days of impurity followed by 33 days of purity. Whereas if she gives birth to a daughter, it's all double. It, it, it goes in it's goes in goes in both directions. It's fourteen days of impurity versus seven days, and sixty-six days of purity instead of thirty-three. Everything is double. When a, a mother gives birth to a daughter, somehow everything is double. So that's very interesting. So also the topic of circumcision goes in there, and so that's what the eight verses talk about. But really, what we want to understand is we want to look at just the the verse after which this parasha is called. The verse is, Isha ki tazria v'yelda zachar. This is where tazria comes from. So literally, it means if a woman is impregnated by a seed, by a sperm, uh, and gives birth, and then it goes into the difference between giving birth to a son or to a daughter. So the verse here is Ishaki Tazriya Vialda Zachar. Now this word here, Tazriya, after which the entire parsha is called, and although the, the the bulk of the parsha deals with leprosy, the fact that it's called Tazriya means that this topic touches upon all upon everything that's going on in this parsha. So we want to understand this very well. So Tazriya is a very interesting word. It's not simple. Um it's, it's, it's interesting, it arouses our curiosity for two reasons. The first reason is, why does the Torah even have to mention that the woman was impregnated? Because it doesn't, it, the, the, the parsha and this, and, and this topic of what happens after the birth has nothing to do with the, with, with the conception, with her, uh, you know, with the, the seed impregnating her. It has nothing to do with it, it has to do with the birth. So the Torah could have just begun by talking about the birth. There's a birth, and if it's a man, it's so and so. If it's a, if it's a, if it's a boy, sorry, it's so many days, and if it's a girl, it's so many days. So why does the Torah even have to mention the conception? So that the tazria comes from the word zera. Zera is seed or sperm. The second question is: is that if you know a little bit of Hebrew, you know that it it doesn't make sense this word. This word literally means, Ishaki Tazria means that she is the one giving the sperm or giving the seed. But that's not what happens. What the, the, what the meaning of the verse is that she, uh, uh, the, the, the seed was put into her, that she, her body, received the sperm. But it, so it should have said, Ishaki Tizara. Tizara is passive. It means that she is the one who receives the sperm. But it says Tazria. Tazria seems to suggest that she is the one producing the seed. So this is interesting. And indeed, Chazah, the sages, looked into this and came up with an alternative interpretation which answers both our queries. Why do we even have to talk about the... Um, the conception, and why it seems to imply that she is the one giving the seed. And then Chazal say the following very interesting idea. They say that um, both the man and the woman, both the father and the mother, produce sperm or produce a seed 
This is very, very interesting to say the least. They seem to be making an, a sort of equivalence. They say, well, since the father has a moment of uh, excitement, a moment, the pinnacle of the experience of the union that produces the, the child, and in that moment uh, he produces a seed, and the woman also has a similar experience, uh, she must also produce a seed in some way. So then they call the moment of the, the pinnacle of the experience, the moment in which the man or the woman finishes, as we say, uh, they call this producing a sperm. They call this lehazria. So the man is mazria and the woman is mazrat. And then they, they, they put forth the following interesting idea which is that if during the sexual intercourse, the union, the, uh, the, the father was the, sorry, let's begin with this, the mother was the first to have this peak experience, the child conceived will be male. As the verse says, If the woman is tazria, is mazria, and it means here tchila, she's the first, then it'll be a male child. But if it's the father coming first, it'll be a female child. What happens if it's simultaneous? Then that's open. It can be either one. So that's what they say. Now, our topic here is not the scientific validity of such a claim. It doesn't appear to make sense that they actually meant this in a totally literal way, because as we know, whatever the behavior of couples, we have... Demographically, 50% males and 50% females. And also, this is obviously something also very divinely, uh, you know, decreed, whether the sex is a female or, child or male. So it seems to mean something deeper than that. Uh, a, it seems to encourage husbands to put their wife's pleasure before their own pleasure, assuming, as was the case throughout many generations that the father prefers a male son, right? Today, we don't hold by this, uh, at least I hope so, because we know that men and women are now equal, and we want, we're, we're very happy to have both. But it, it used to be that people were blessed all the time with having a ben zachal, having a male child. So if the father reads this, and he wants a male child, he says, well, I should, I should put my wife's, uh, my wife before me, really. So that's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is that really they they touched upon a certain deep spiritual truth, a spiritual idea. If there's something about the seed or the influence coming from the woman that produces or goes in the direction of maleness in some way, and there's something about uh, the men preceding that somehow leads into, into femaleness, something like this. So we're going to go try and understand this better as we go on. So we'll just start with this idea. The very fact that Chazal spoke about Isha Mazrat, that there is a seed, a sperm coming from the woman, is in many ways revolutionary and ahead of its time. Why am I saying this? For many, many, many generations, in fact, until the 19th century, People thought of pregnancy 
as very much akin and paralleling a what happens when you plant a tree. When you plant a tree, you have a seed. You have a, a right the seed of the tree. And it contains all the, what we now call genetic information. They didn't call it genetic information, but they call it, whatever it is, the properties of the future tree. And, and then you plant it in the ground. The ground doesn't have a seed. The ground is just like a big womb that contains the seed and houses it, and then enables it to grow and, into a tree. So people thought about pregnancy as the same way. All the genetic information, again, this is an anachronism, but it, it, they used to think in similar terms, that the information or the properties uh, of the future child are all within the man, because only the man produces a seed that we can see. And then the woman is just like, the, like Mother Earth, it's like the ground. It's just, it's just a, like a house, it's a vessel that contains this male seed, and then gives birth to the to the to the child it was only in the 19th century that science discovered the female egg the female egg or the female gamete the female procreative cell is the uh, parallel organ or the parallel cell of the the male sperm and as we all know today the DNA of each child is 50% coming from the father and 50% coming from the mother. And it is in fact true that there are two sperms. There's a male sperm and a female sperm. We just call them today sperm and egg or ovum. So when the Torah says, Isha kitazriya, and using this word that seems to suggest that she's producing a sperm, and then Chazal is, is just saying very plainly, that there's ish mazriyah It's the man giving a sperm, the woman giving a sperm. It's actually absolutely right. It just depends on how you, you use the word sperm. There is actually a male sperm and a female sperm. It's the sperm and the egg. And the woman is not just like Mother Earth. It's not like, it's not like just the ground that you put the seed and then the tree grows. It's, there's a whole other seed, which is 50% of the tree of the child, which is contained within the mother. And you can't have a child just with a sperm and a, uh, you know, something to contain it. This container also has a seed, and the child is 50-50 a product of both parents. So that's really a very, very deep concept. The classical terms were matter and form. And the idea was that the father is responsible for the form, and the mother is responsible for the matter. And what it turned out to be is that it's still true that the mother is responsible for the matter because uh, starting from the um, fertilized egg and all the way up to the end of the, of the breastfeeding period, the child is made up entirely of, uh, of the, the, what the mother is eating and, and giving him or giving it. And, but it's, it's not true that only the father is giving the form element, right? There's matter and form. Form is, in our uh, terms, the genetic uh, information. The form element is given 50-50 by the mother and father. So there's really something very powerful going on here, that starting with the word tazriya and continuing with the Chazal 
term of Isham Azrat, it was actually a very, very early uh, re- recognition or presentation of the idea that the mother isn't just a vessel that contains the seed, it also produces a seed and is actively responsible for how the child turns out to be. That is, she's an equal partner in creating the child. So that's something very deep to now understand. Now, of course, it means more than this. The fact that a woman has a seed means that the woman, we we said this, but let's develop this now, is not just a passive recipient, she's also an active influencer. This is actually embodied, encapsulated in the the word Ishakitazriya or Ishamazrat. Furthermore, when you talk about Ishamazrat Chila, this idea that the woman is the one to produce her seed before the man, that she's the one who uh, experiences her her uh, peak moment before him. This means, again, symbolically, that there is something that we call we can call female initiation, or something that is starts with the feminine and then goes to the masculine, not the other way around. So it's not just, and, and this is really the topic we presented in the beginning: it aruta diletata. An awakening from below. So the whole idea of Isha Mazrat Tchila, when taken up by the Kabbalists and the Hasidic masters, became symbolic of a whole spiritual concept, a very deep spiritual concept, which says that the relationship between creation and God, and that's really the first male-female pair in the world, theologically speaking. God is above gender, but when God creates the world, he becomes masculine in relation to the world, and the world becomes feminine in relation to him. Again, in the sense that he is the one who is sort of giving or influencing or pouring his light, his energy into the world, and we are the vessel that contains it. But just as it took time to realize that the feminine, that the woman, isn't just like a passive vessel, but it actually has a seed, so the idea goes, creation, we, humankind, more in particular, Knesset Israel, the Jewish people, but by expansion, humankind, and by further expansion, the entire creation, the entire created universe, all of it isn't just a passive vessel. God is the male, and we are the female, but the female have a seed of their own, have a sperm of their own, have an egg, have a say in the matter. They have, they influence their partners in creating whatever the child is, everything that we work with God in order to produce. So God is on the surface, he's the one who's deciding, and he's the one who's, we're just a vessel. He gives, he pours in the light, the energy, which impregnates us. But Chazal saying that the woman has a sperm, and science then later on corroborating this and rediscovering that this is indeed so, all this is reflective or symbolic of the way in which creation is also active in creating together with God this world. We are co-creators with God. This is really what it means. We have our own egg, our own sperm, our own influence, our own inspiration, 
that we the we can initiate. Of course, it all came from God. He put he God. We're now talking about God, the who's above gender and above the dichotomy of creator and creation, the essence of God that's beyond everything. He created everything, so he put this within us. But now that it's within us, it comes not by being, by looking upwards and saying, God save me, it comes by coming up with the idea, coming up with, with the inspiration on our own, producing it on our own. So all this very, very deep theological topic, which is called the awakening uh, from below, really begins or is hinted at in the Torah, in the opening of Parashat Tazriah, in our parsha, in the idea of the feminine sperm, feminine influence, and not just the fact that she has this influence, that she's not just a, she doesn't just give the matter of the child, she also gives the form or is co-creator in the in in giving the form, in designing, and forming the child and reality, uh, she also has the power to initiate Isha Mazra Tchila. So all these ideas are here embedded in the opening of this parsha. Now, as we said, we want to now connect the this topic of pregnancy, conception, birth, the female active element within this process of creation, the idea that we are as a hum, as humankind and the Jewish people and reality as a whole, we're co-creators of the of the universe with God, and also uh, in the, the the woman being a co-creator of the child with her parent. All this we want to now connect with what we said was the main topic of the two parashot, which is this, this mysterious illness called leprosy, tzarat. So the two words, the two names of the two parashot, right, Tazria and Metzorah, they have, like every word in Hebrew, there's a three-letter root that they come from. So the word Tazria comes from the root Zera, three-letter root Zera, which, as we said, means sperm or seed. Tzarat, Metzorah, the leper, comes from the root Tzadik, Reish Ein, Tzera. There's Zera and Tzera, very, very similar verbs. The, their last two letters are identical, Reish and Ein, and the first two, the first letter, Zain in the first case, and Tzadik in the second case, are also similar because we use the teeth to pronounce both of them. So the, the 22 con- letters of the Hebrew language are divided into groups according to which part of the mouth you use in order to produce them. So four letters have to do with the teeth because uh, we, we, need, we have to have teeth in order to pronounce them. So... Two of the four are Zayn and Tzadik, so they're sisters' letters in a way. In a way. So what does it mean? What is the connection, the deep connection between Zera and Tzera? So we have to look, well, let's start by looking at the two letters they have in common, right? Reish and Ein gives the word Ra. Ra is bad or evil. That's the simple meaning. So there's something that is, there is an, a negative overtone to these two words. Although tzeratzarat really does have to do with something that's bad, because it's it's an illness and it can lead to death and that's very bad. So tz, the fact that tzarat metzora and the root tzadik reish ein contain the two letters of ra bad makes absolute sense. But zera is more interesting because zera is the beginning of life. So why does it have ra within it? So 
we can try to understand this if we look into the deeper context or the wider context of Itaruta Diltata, awakening from below. Awakening from below means what will really, what's the difference between the qualitative difference between awakening from above and awakening from below? Awakening from above starts with the world of, let's say, ideals. The world as, the world as it should be. The world as you would see it from the point of view of heavens. You're living in some ideal space. You're thinking about how things ought to be. You're thinking about high ideals and ideals. And that's where you're coming from. However, Itaruta Diltata, coming from below, doesn't begin with the ideal world. It begins with the real world. It begins with how things really are. And the way things really are, not as they should or ought to be, but as they are, is often not so good. It's still unrectified, unredeemed, it's unwhole. So this is the where it starts. So if Zera, Ishaki Tazria, and Tsarat, which is experiencing the, the, the illness, the negative aspects of this world, they all have to do with this world and the negative aspects of this world being our starting point. Now we should know that Ra has two more meanings other than being just bad or evil. Ra means broken. One of the words for in Hebrew for broken is Ra'u'ah. Ra'u'ah means broken or broken up into, into uh, bits and pieces or, 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 or about to break. And, and the other meaning is below. In Aramaic, when you say the words for above and below are milra and mil'ail. Mil'ail is above, milra is below. So ra means below. So ra doesn't just mean bad or evil. It's actually the, the two new meanings give us a deeper understanding of what bad and evil are. What, what makes something bad? What makes something bad is that it's broken or it breaks, takes things apart, and that it pulls you down. These are the two deeper meanings of ra. So when you talk, when you talk about something that's ra, that's bad, or someone that's ra, or some event that it's ra, you're saying really, instead of making things whole and complete, it breaks them up, it distances the elements from one, to, from one another, creates distance, and it pulls them down. They become lower. They look at things from a lower perspective. This world that we're living in is called the lowest of all worlds, and it's also called the world of separation. These are the two meanings that we just introduced of Ra. So we live in the worst world. You know that the medieval Christian theologians struggled with how come a good God uh, has bad things in his world. And then they said, this is the best of all possible worlds. They says, well, there are, there's bad in the world, but it's, on the whole, it's the best of all possible worlds. There's a limit to the possible worlds, and each of them contains a certain modicum of evil, and this world has the least evil. 
It's the best of all possible worlds. But, but, but Kabbalah says the opposite. Kabbalah says this is the worst of all worlds, in the sense that it's the lowest, and everything is the most separated. We have to aspire towards the good, which means towards wholeness and towards elevation. So awakening from below begins with this world, with the world of separation and with the world of being below, which means in, in the dark, far away from where everything is connected and complete and makes sense and, and we're all happy and enlightened. It's, this is this world. And this is where we have to move upwards towards. So that's a, a kind of meditation or a deep, deep investigation of the two letters Ra. Before moving to the first letter, the, the Zayn versus Tzadik, we should, we should say that Ra is also the acronym for two words that go together. And this is Red Ale, go down and go up. Right? There is something called Yerida Tzorich Aliyah, descent for the sake of ascent towards something higher. And Ra, just looking at the word Ra, has the two injunctions. Red Ale, go down, go up. Why? Goodness, which has to do with union and elevation, also has to do with pleasure. It says in Sefer Yitzhak, the Book of Formation, it says, En me'oneg. The best thing in the world, the highest thing in the world, is oneg, pleasure. En minega. There's, the worst thing in the world is nega. Nega is like a, an infliction on the skin that separates you from, just like tzarat, leprosy. So, the leprosy differentiates, distinguishes, and you're disconnected from reality, and then you have to be pushed away from society also, until you heal. So this is has to do with again the, the negative aspect of separation. But the best thing in the world, the opposite of nega, is oneg. It's a permutation of the same three letters. Oneg is when we have the pleasure of of union, of connection to other souls and to God. So, but there is another important thing in Hasidut. Ta'anug t'midi eino ta'anug. Constant pleasure is no pleasure at all. Constant pleasure means there's no space to appreciate the pleasure. Pleasure needs to stop. It needs to cease so that you realize what you lost and then you long for it and then you regain it and it becomes even more pleasurable. So in this sense, when we when the good things stop when something bad happens in our lives this stop was really a good thing it was red ale yerida descent for the sake of ascent the pleasure needed to stop so that we can lose sight of it and go, then go back to it and regain it and reclaim it and re-enjoy it and then the pleasure increases so, in that case, we, we can also say another word that comes from Ra is Lera'anen, to make something fresh, to freshen things up, so, to refresh, right? Today, in the, in the uh, internet days, we refresh the page all the time. So, the bad refreshes your web page, so it becomes better. Imagine that you're in a website, it's a very good website, but now, just now, as you're browsing the web, the programmers are making it into an even better website. 
but you need to refresh the page. And as you're refreshing the page, it disappears for a few moments. And that, you experience it as bad. You don't have that website that you enjoy so much. But really, that moment of refreshing, which has the word ra in it, the ra of the world, the bad of the world, is really God refreshing the page. We're browsing the, 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 the worldwide web of the world itself. The world itself is a kind of big internet web. And there's good things are happening. But then, suddenly, God refreshes the page. And then it disappears. And that, that's, what, that's, that's what it means when bad things happen. So we should remember that whenever something bad happens, it's really God refreshing the browser. And it'll take some time, but then the page will come up again, and it'll be a new and improved version of everything that happened before. So the bad, the ra, is mera'anen, has the word ra in it, so that the constant pleasure doesn't become constant, and, and therefore re- continues to be and is invigorated in being something pleasurable. So now let's look at the two separate letters. So we had that, that was just looking into the word ra. Now, what is the difference between zera and tzera? Put adding the words, adding the letter zayin before ra, adding the letter tzadig before ra. So each of these letters really symbolizes something. So zera is just like saying the words zera. This is bad, right? Ze is the word for pointing at something and calling it by its name. Ze, this is. Ze ra, which means seed or sperm. If you break it up into two words, it becomes ze ra, this is bad. What does this mean? Well, we'll say in a minute what it means. Let's just first look at what tzera is. What is tzera? So here it's a little bit different. You take the letter tzadik, and you pronounce the name of the letter. The name of the letter is Tzadik. Sometimes it's called Tzadi, sometimes it's called Tzadik. So Tzadik means a righteous man, a righteous person. What is Tzadik Ra? That doesn't make any sense. It's a contradiction in terms. Tzadik Ra is a bad, righteous man. Can't be. So we should see this as referring to something called Tzadik Veralo. Usually, Tzadik Veralo is understood as meaning that someone is righteous, but he has a bad time of it. Bad things happen to him. But the Hasidic interpretation is Tzadik Veralo is a Tzadik who still has some, some bad or evil within him, but they're in charge of it. They took control of it. They elevated their negative aspects and incorporated it into their righteousness. Tzadik Veralo. So Zera has to do with Zera, this is Ra, recognizing the Ra. And Tzadikra, Tzera, which is Tzarat, he took the illness of Tzarat and he completely elevated it. Just like when you have someone who's completely Metzora, complete has leprosy all over his body, that he went all the way into the leprosy, so to speak, he becomes absolutely pure. One of the deepest, most paradoxical concepts also in our parasha. So the Tzadik Veralo experienced the bad, the negative aspects of the world, and incorporated them into his righteousness. So Zera is recognizing the bad, and Tzadikra is elevating the bad. Now the order of the two parashot are Tazria and then Metzora. So it's first Zera, recognizing the bad, 
and then elevating it, incorporating it into the righteousness, into whatever is the, the good things that we want to do. So really what we have here is a kind of instruction, a very simple instruction manual, how to do it aruta deltata, how to do, how to perform the awakening from below. We have to start by recognizing what's bad. Zera, identifying the bad within us, outside of us, in the world, in the people, in the society we belong to. This seems to go against the principle of focusing just on the good. Don't look at the bad. Focus on the good. Look at the, look at the half. The look at the the glass being half full. Why why you're looking at the glass being half empty? Why are you looking at the negative things? And Hasidut itself was very much into don't don't deal with the bad, don't look at the bad, just look at the good, focus on the good. So what does it mean, zera, to identify the bad, to look at the bad? Why is this the zera, the seed of itaruta diltata? Because although the Hasidim always said you should look at the good, they never said ignore the bad. In fact, the Baal Shem Tov said that for a Hasid, it's a mitzvah deoraita. It's a, it's a, a divine commandment to be prudent and sober about how the world is. Not to live in, not to imagine, or to live in some, you know, imagined world uh, that is some fantasy world and projecting your fantasies upon the world. You need to be very, very open eyed. And it says it's a isurda, right? It's a prohibition to be foolish, and it's a mitzvah to be having your to to look at the world with open eyes and see it for what it is. That means recognizing what's bad. If you neglect or if you ignore the bad, you're not going to change anything in the world. You need to look the bad in the eyes and recognize it, and call it by its name. So this is bad, this is wrong. This element is wrong in my life, I need to change it. And this element is wrong in society, I need to change it. Or at least not cooperate with it. Differentiate myself from it. Only then can you proceed to the second stage, which is the Tzera, Tzadikra. Taking this, this negative, these negative elements that you identified, and seeing how you can lift them up and use them in order to make the world a better place and make your own life a better life. So, you can't heal from the illness if you don't know that you're ill. You can't fix the world if you, if you don't see that it's broken. You can't fix yourself if you don't see that you yourself are broken. So you have to start with zera, identifying, recognizing the bad, and then tzadikra, and saying to yourself, now I want to become a tzadik despite it all. I have the bad, but I, wanna, I don't want to give in to the bad. I don't want the bad to control me, to govern my life. I want to be in control of the bad, not to have the bad control me. So I want to become a tzadik vera lo. A tzaddik who took charge of the negative aspects within him and and worked with them. So we started with the concept of Yitzhoda Dil Tata and then we showed 
that uh, the two names of the two parashot, Tazrim, Etzora, the two roots, really give us a kind of clue as to how it should be performed. We'll end our lesson for today with one more idea that has to do with uh, the topic that's uh, in the minds of all Jews living today. And I'm talking about the big uh, dispute that is going on between the different factions or, or um, uh, what's the word, uh, denominations within Judaism as to the topic of uh, the founding of the State of Israel. The founding of the State of Israel is the product of a long process of Shivat Zion that actually began before Zionism. It then took on the form of secular Zionism with a certain version of it called religious Zionism trying to interpret it in another way. And there's also big groups, they don't define themselves as Zionists at all. And there are many people who find themselves as in between the Zionists in one sense, not in another sense. It's a big, big topic that is coming up in this time of the year. And we, what I want to say about this, we don't have time to go into the full idea, but we, we, we should and can say this. Um, for many, many generations, we were redeemed from Egypt, from Babylon, from the Babylonian exile, Greek uh, exile. In many ways, we were redeemed only in a way that was It was God coming down and rescuing us. But there are many, many sources that hint at the fact that the future, full, ultimate redemption is going to be a redemption from below. It's going to be something that we initiate. It's actually one of the explanations given to the fact that this exile, called the exile of Edom, of Esav, of, started with the Roman destruction of the temple, of the second temple, is that the reason it was so long is because God was, so to speak, waiting for us to initiate the redemption coming out of it. And this is, in fact, what happened. It started with the students of the Baal Shem Tov, like the Vitebsk Rebbe, whose Yorte was this week, by the way, the first day of Yal. And he came, he did Aliyah to Eretz Israel with 300 families, the first group to come as a group to Eretz Israel in modern days. It went, it continued with the students of the, of Agra, of the Vilna Gon. Later came the Zionist waves of immigration also. And, and of course, the rest is history. So it started as an awakening from below, but it's a very big question, how do we do this awakening from below? And it could be done in a way that it's looking up towards God, striving for God and wanting to create a state that will be like a house for God and a house for the, for the Torah and a, a place that will enable the Jews to perform their mission in the world, which is to spread the light of God and the light of Torah to all the world. It can also be performed in a way in which God is pushed out of the picture, in which it's all really all about us. It's about creating a, a home for our own nation, and it's about trying to be like the other nations, which is actually what the scroll of independence says very clearly, that we want to be kichol am ve'am, as all other nations. And, you know, they built it based on the American Declaration of Independence. But whereas the end of the American Declaration of Independence mentions very clearly that, that the notion of divine providence, the scroll of Hebrew, 
Israel independence, uh, didn't say it. It said a vague term called Sur Israel, which can be seen, and it was there was a purpose that you can see it as not referring to God at all, as referring to the Jewish nation itself. So this is, of course, the secular version of Itarut Adiltat, of awakening from below. And it really is trying to create a state, a society, a world in which the, the Jewish nation um, uh, blossoms and is doing incredible and lives, survives, not just survives, but, but blossoms. But it does it in a way that is de very deliberately trying to rewrite the narrative of what Judaism is. And this is, of course, this is a kind of negative version of Itaruta Deltata. It's good that it, we have Itaruta Deltata. It's not so good that it, it comes about in, in such a version. This becomes the dominant narrative in many ways. So the reason for this is that Itaruta Deltata, as we said, starts from the bad. It starts from a broken up, confused world in which the truth is hidden. And this is why all this confusion is here. So, but so the rectification of this, this isn't to say that we should you know, boycott this in any way, or this, we want to strive towards goodness, and which means wholeness and completion and things coming together and being elevated. But this rectification needs to go through the two stages that we detailed. It starts with a recognition of what's faulty, what's wrong. If we try to convince ourselves that everything that's happening is part of redemption, it's all for the good, it's all for the best, where the redemption has begun, and the state of Israel, and the way it is, everything is wonderful, it's going to just continue to be more wonderful. This is called turning a blind eye to reality. If the narrative is striving actively in the direction of creating a completely secular society that's like the, every other nation, in which Torah is just Jewish folklore, in which uh, people don't know about Judaism, and that's how they're educated by the, the main uh, school system, by the state school system, then turning a blind eye is not a good thing. It's, a, it's, it's wrong. It's, it, it, that's, you're not going to rectify anything by turning a blind eye. So we have to start with Zerah, identifying, recognizing what's false, what's wrong, and acknowledging it and calling it by its name. But then you have to move towards, advance towards tzaddik veralo, being a tzaddik, connecting to the tzaddikim, to the, the models, the, the true Jewish models, who were righteous people, all the wise Jew, Jews of all the generations up until this generation, finding the righteous people, leaders of our generation and connecting to them, and thereby awakening the righteous element within each and every one of us, and then taking everything that's bad, that's wrong, and incorporating it into something bigger and better. But we need to go through this differentiation first. We have to go through the two stages of awakening from below. So I hope uh, this class is, is something that helps you, that inspires you, and in thinking about all of this, thinking about very generally about the whole idea of awakening from below, and thinking about more specifically about this, what's going on with the Jewish people in our generation, with this whole split or dilemma between how do we address the state of Israel, how do we address Zionism, 
and you know everything is very subtle and complicated and and you know multifaceted but we need to to acknowledge all aspects of everything and not to be foolish or not to be naive not to you know lull ourselves into a false sense of of you know being pleased with ourselves we have to see what's wrong and we have to try and awaken ourselves and others to see this to see that the notion of of liberty the notion of independence the notion of of a nation just be, what, what are we all about what's our story all this has been rewritten in a way that is not uh, authentic to what Judaism is about and it needs to be rewritten and so you have to you have to recognize the version is wrong and then you have to we, we all have to together to work on rewriting it and restoring it to its original version and vision and then of course strive towards fulfilling this vision so may we all marry to have a lot of Avat Israel, love for Israel, love for one another as fellow Jews, and and of course Avat Israel also to have to extend this to Avat Abriot to love all the people in the world, and have this love be reciprocated, and together work on turning the state of Israel into truly a lighthouse for the nations, a place that is a, a center for producing and spreading the beautiful light of Torah to all the Jews in the world and to all the people in the world and to making this entire world a dwelling place for God. Shabbat Shalom and I'll see you next week. Hi, if you enjoyed this video, please press like and subscribe to the channel. Don't forget to hit the bell icon. Also, you're very much welcome to join our free weekly Zoom class once every Sunday. You can find the link in the description below. And until then, you can enjoy some more videos right now. Thank you.